Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Green Knight Podcast, Episode 3. It's important to say again what this podcast is about, but it wasn't clear in the first two. It's about a solution, a solution, the solution to our big problem. I think we have just one big problem and that everything else stems from that. The source of the dysfunction in our society could just be one thing. But this dysfunction, this disease, it resides at a deep level. And the solution also lies there. But we have to be able to see it. The purpose of this podcast is to clean the windows, so to speak, so that we may have the vision to take proper action together. If we cannot gain the vision, then we will continue to treat the symptoms and not the cause. The good news is that the solution is simple, because once the dysfunction is corrected, the entire pattern will shift. The tricky part is actually adjusting the collective vision. So first things first, we have to see the problem and its location. It's important again to mention the title of the podcast, Green Knight. I'm going to devote a whole episode to it because of its particular content is relevant to this whole thing and uh, it tells a pretty good story but we have to arrive at a certain level of understanding and we're not there yet that is assuming that any of us any of us will arrive there it's assuming that i can effectively get you to be interested in the subject and want to find and trace the connections that I have made over the years. Green Knight, why did I name it that? We know that the green man, the green man shows up in Celtic mythology. The interpretation is that the green man is a member of the Fae or of the fairy folk. Like the green man, similar to the green man, the green knight holds a similar position in the eyes of scholars and the characters in the myth of Sir Gwain and the Green Knight. Like the Green Man, the Green Knight holds a similar position in the eyes of scholars and also the characters of the myth, Sir Gwain and the Green Knight. Green Knight is from an adjacent realm, but bound and interested in our plane of existence. This so-called fairy realm can go by other names and does. The discussion of fairy mythology specifically states that this other realm and its inhabitants actually matter to us as we also matter to them. That is what is discussed in scholarly commentary of Celtic myth regarding fairy legend. Now, the Green Knight is interested in the affairs of the court of King Arthur. <clears throat> interested enough to show up at the winter solstice or Christmas, if you will, in Camelot at the feast. He rides into the hall on a massive green charger and demands words with the king. He offers a challenge that though disturbing is simple enough. What ensues is Sir Gawain, a knight of the round table engaging on a quest. So I'll come back to this as I said, and we'll go through the story gauging and analyzing the message that the Green Knight delivers to Camelot. 
there are two things that can be used as tools to change this world. One of them is speech. The crucial aspect of understanding media is going beyond the surface of how our inventions alter our perceptions of our environment, because it is clear that they do. Speech was an invention. Speech was an invention resulting from the necessity of cooperation. It could be argued that the assignment of meaning to vocalized sounds is our oldest technology, and it had the purpose of creating bonds, bonds between people. It is our most powerful tool. It is our greatest invention if you go by its effects alone. That is why I've chosen audio as my preferred medium for this quest. I would ask you all to join me, but let me convince you. The oral tradition is the glue of tribal society, of pre-literate culture. Oral man does not consider the nature of speech as a medium. He or she does not think of oral communication and how it functions or how it makes them part of a collective by default. Saying something out loud includes everyone who can hear it, potentially the whole tribe. We tend not to notice a medium directly because we are intent on the content. As we look at McLuhan, we'll go deep into the human transition from an oral tradition to a literate culture. His analysis of this event marks it as the beginning of Western culture as we know it, leading to the level of growth that we witness today. It's important, I keep saying that, it's important. It's fucking important, you guys. But it's important that we understand McLuhan's thinking and in order to present a viable and valid solution to the predicament we find ourselves in now. Now, so he was writing in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, mainly the 60s and 70s, and a listener may ask, why is a uh, 60-year-old, why are 60-year-old ideas even relevant today? Well, at every time of change in history, at every transformation to the structure of society due to innovation, in the midst of the turmoil, there is always someone saying that there's something wrong, that we're missing some vital piece of information. When you really look at it, it has the Groundhog Day feeling. Despite the outward changes, there seems to be a common theme in every paradigm shift. Thomas Paine and common sense comes to mind. You guys remember that, right? From school, common sense. That shit made sense. We can also look at the existentialists, Emerson and Thoreau. Their work contained wisdom that sounds right today. It's relevant, it makes sense. And they condemned the establishment. Later, in the 1930s, we have Charlie Chaplin, who apparently was a very enlightened individual, despite his shenanigans. Charlie Chaplin performed 
his uh, a speech in which he was dressed like Hitler, but the content of the speech was the inverse of anything Hitler would say. We can look back at William Wallace in Scotland and what he was saying. You know, we all remember the end of Braveheart when he bellowed freedom as he was beginning to be drawn and quartered. And when I saw that, I wondered, did he really say that? You know, like, isn't this concern about freedom a modern thing? Whether he said it or not, um, that's what it was about, because the fucking British man. But anyway, you know, is this idea of freedom something new? And not, it goes back, it goes all the way back. We can even mention Marcus Aurelius, you know, the Roman Stoic. He said some stuff that makes sense, despite him being a bastard. But now again, you jump up to the 1970s and we have the hippie movement. Right? The hippie movement. If we were to give the common theme here a name, it would be freedom. We keep waking up in the morning of a new technological revolution. And we look around and we think, is it time for freedom now? Will we be set free this time? But then we get transfixed in the drama. And before we know it, collectively, we are asleep and find ourselves again waking up only to a more dire situation, more dire. We are not free. We are not free. And think about this, you guys. We haven't had a movement since the 60s, a real movement. Why is that? Not even an art movement. Now, I went to art school. I studied art history at two different schools. And we haven't had a movement. This is our chance right now to be the movement. McLuhan was writing in the morning of our current Groundhog Day. He had clear eyes and was fearless. He didn't follow the rules and he did not play nice if you were underinformed and wrote books. He would fuck you up. Now it's nearly 60 years later and it is the twilight. It is twilight on the Groundhog Day that the hippies woke up to. We have till midnight to break the cycle, you guys. The internet is the movement. The internet is the movement. If we, even if we are not aware of it consciously, independent of the content on the internet, it is changing us. The irony is that as, in as much as it can free us without a collective vision of what is possible, it will become our cage. We must act, but we have to see. Here's a little quote. A man is not free if he cannot see where he is going, even if he has a gun to help him get there. Liebling. I remember uh, saying to my father in the mid-90s, or maybe late-90s, um, something like, Dad, things are changing. I can see something happening. The veil is being lifted. And he told me that he'd been waiting for something to happen since 1971. 
So I'm going to start to read from Marshall's book, Understanding Media, and I'll stop and comment on things and continue. Um, so this is going to be kind of a mosaic, you guys. Um, similar to what the way Marshall wrote this book, you can't really nail it all down. You have to create like a um, a collage, so to speak, of snapshots, which is what I'm gonna do basically, until there's a gestalt formed, in which you can see what Marshall was saying, and how that can give us, um, that can clean the windows for us. Okay, so starting now on Marshall's own introduction. After 3,000 years of explosion by means of fragmentary and mechanical technologies, the Western world is imploding. During the mechanical ages, we had extended our bodies in space. Today, after more than a century of electric technology, we have extended our central nervous systems itself into the global embrace, abolishing both space and time as far as our planet is concerned, unquote. So in his book, um, he says electric a lot instead of electronic. And so, you, I mean, you understand one, what time he was writing it. We're gonna get into it, but I will start here with this use of the word fragmentary. Um, McLuhan begins, he says that the, basically um, it all began with the invention of the phonetic alphabet, the written word. The written word with sounds as symbols put together in a sequence like a word assembly line. This is the event that started us on a sequential thinking pathway in the West. Sequencing language sounds into component parts and assembling them in line caused people to begin perceiving everything as an assembly of separate parts. Ever since then, we have been compounding that effect by becoming ever more compartmentalized as a society and ever more specialized. The Industrial Revolution was the culmination of that specialization and fragmentation. The invention of electricity and the later electronic communication devices move information at the speed of light, making everyone aware of everyone else again returning us to an integral existence, such as it was in a village. McLuhan. Rapidly, we approach the final phase of the extensions of man, the technological simulation of consciousness, when the creative process of knowing will be collectively and corporately extended to the whole of human society. Much as we have already extended our senses, our nerves by various media. Much as we have already extended our senses, our nerves by various media. Whether the extension of consciousness so long sought by advertisers for specific products will be a good thing. 
whether the extension of consciousness so long sought by advertisers for specific products will be a good thing is a question that admits a wide solution. Unquote. So we are going through the extension of our nervous system currently, which has taken the form of the internet. Take a minute to think about that. Right? It's basically what he just described. You know, the extension of the process of knowing. So that's what the internet is. It connects all of us. But he's taking it a step further. He is referring to artificial intelligence. The simulation of consciousness. And how it can be used to sell products. I mean, you can't get any more right on than that. There's little possibility of answering such questions. This is McCoolahan again. <clears throat> About the extensions of man without considering them all together. Any extension, whether of skin, hand, or foot, affects the whole psychic and social complex. I'll say that again. This is McCoolahan. Any extension, whether of skin, hand, or foot, affects the whole psychic and social complex. People talk about how McLuhan predicted the internet, and here he is talking about artificial intelligence. I mean, the writing was on the wall back then, but that's what brought him back to the forefront is when the internet was invented. Because he talked about it, you know, a lot earlier. But to me, his analysis of inventions from the past is the true gold. Because they can be looked at as a kind of package in history with clear before and after, making cogent analysis possible. The understanding of what this final extension means, the message of the internet, comes from understanding everything that happened previously. So I want <clears throat> to interject here a little bit because I just realized that words can be used as a weapon and in one specific way, words that in the beginning had so much meaning and uh, potential, such as the internet and what it meant. But then as time goes by, and we just keep moving forward and the internet's there, but nothing's really happening. The whole concept of the internet being um, as important as everyone thought gets kind of um, blurred a little. But that's, I mean, the truth is that it is what it is. And that's what we're, I'm trying to say here. And that's what McLuhan was saying, is that it does what it does, whether we know it or not. 
the message of the internet comes from understanding everything that happened previously. We can't understand the internet and its effects unless we understand the effects of the other major extensions or mediums of the past. And we can easily look back. It is looking forward where you can see the material in this book, Understanding Media, is dated. And some of his words too, you can see in the introduction. You have to think about how long ago it was when he wrote it. You have to read it with the knowledge of the time he was writing in. We used different words back then. I imagine he would have thought there would have been more of a resultant change observable in the thinking generally of the collective, the collective viewpoint, as it were. I agree. We can see that there is a delay or stalling taking place. I mean, shouldn't we already be living in Star Trek land by now? I mean, the idea of no currency and everyone is all good and everything's taken care of. And everyone gets to excel in any way that they choose. Like we're not talking, I'm not, any transition that humans make doesn't mean we have to give up any individuality, right? But it's a different kind when, I mean, for lack of more and better words, when you can see. Okay, back to McLuhan. Some of the principal extensions together with some of their psychic and social consequences are studied in this book. Just how little consideration has been given to such matters in the past can be gathered from the consternation of one of the editors of this book. He noted with dismay that 75% of your, of your material is new. He noted with dismay that 75% of your material is new. A successful book cannot venture to be more than 10% new. Such a risk seems quite worth taking at the present time when the stakes are so very high, and the need to understand the effects of the extensions of man becomes more urgent by the hour. We actually live mythically and integrally, as it were, but we continue to think in the old, fragmented space and time patterns of the pre-electric age. Unquote. The old way of thinking may be slowing us down. It may be that we are unscheduled. You know, I mean, <laughs> there's that meme on the internet that, <laughs> that, uh, that, uh, 1980 was only 20 years ago, you know? Since 2003, damn, time has just slipped past. And meanwhile, we're more transfixed to our devices. That's the irony. 
the old way of thinking may be slowing us down. It may be that we are on schedule. McLuhan would say that there's something happening no matter what, no matter whether we know it or not. Something hap something's happening and that we should be aware of it so that we can take the proper steps to minimize the surprise. Because if there's a message from McLuhan, it's like, get ready, because you're going to be surprised. Try to figure out what's coming. But you have to look at it in a different way. This is the final extension or medium. The internet is an extension of our nervous system. So it completes the body, so to speak. It's the final faculty that includes all faculties. The phonetic alphabet happened and it started this whole chain reaction to get us where we are. Everything was to lead us to this moment in time. Everything that has happened has led us to this moment. And so its culmination, it has to be a good thing. If it doesn't lead us beyond, lead us to the next step of human evolution, of the evolution of society, then we have missed something, some vital aspect. We've done it wrong somehow. We need to make our society function on earth. And our tools have brought us to this place that makes it possible. But at the same time, the tools could also keep us in stasis. We have to, there are tools, they're ours. We did this together. No one gets to like say what's, who's, gets what. <laughs> I mean, that may sound a certain way, but I asked you to remember that sometimes we only have the words we have and don't start thinking or stop listening because you think you heard something that is just going to make you run a program. The internet is computing power. It's just computers connected. But AI can live on the network and it does already, but it should be working for us, not trying to mine us like a World of Warcraft Chinese miner. Stasis, we will be stuck here at this state unless we can bust through. It's like <clears throat> the sound barrier. We all watch that, right? Like the Chuck Yeager in uh, The Right Stuff. <laughs> Jesus Christ, The Right Stuff. Remember how he was trying to break the sound barrier in that little jet and he was all shaken up trying to break through Right, we were all shook up trying to break through. But once we cross the barrier, smooth sailing. Smoother than fuck. We have to get to that. That's the main thing. 
because we're in this together. It's how we operate together that is going to get us beyond this shit. And if they want you to look at something, you fucking better look twice. <laughs> Don't just take it. All right, moving on. So we need to make our society function on earth. And our tools have brought us to a place that makes it possible. This is what I'm saying. This is what Bucky Fuller was saying back in the 70s. And before that, McLuhan was saying that all you got to do is be aware of what it means. And it doesn't mean what you hear with your ear <laughs> or you see with your eye. It's something that you can't be aware of unless you can understand this added facet, this way of refracting the information so that you can actually see the pattern. So one of the things I'm talking about is how we've stalled out, right? We're all shook up before breaking the sound barrier. And some of that shakeup, you know, is us getting distracted by shit. The content, this is back to McLuhan, for the content of a medium, for the content of a medium is like a juicy piece of meat carried by the burglar to distract the watchdog of the mind. In the current environment, we find ourselves distracted by the meat carried by the burglar to divert our attention away from, yeah, misdeeds. <clears throat> I mean, they're managing that shit right now. They're managing the release of the misdeeds. And I'll fucking mention it. I wasn't gonna. <laughs> but this whole Q thing. Oh my God, man. I mean, if it's the de definition of controlled opposition, that's it right there. Another way words are used as weapons, right? You hear these phrases and they start to lose their meaning because everyone's fucking spouting the shit. You have to understand what controlled opposition really is and that it exists. Q is like, hold on there. This looks crazy. Some fucking dumbass is coming to save you. Nope. No one's coming to save us. We have to save us. So it's diverting our attention, yeah. But also like making us look too, like with the controlled leakage, 
of choice meat. And what this does is divert us away from our own evolution. There is definitely a delay taking place. That's why we haven't seen any movements. If you look at art movements from the past, they coincide with radical innovation. We're experiencing the most radical innovation and no one's making sculptures. No one's painting about it. As if we'd know, because how do you depict that anyway? But that's fucking not the point. I mean, we have some fucking great artists out there doing really cool fucking relevant shit, digital and whatnot, but it's a limited market, somehow fragmented. How is it possible that these movements don't go world? The movements from the past were worldwide. So think about this. The big art piece of our age is that we all become artists. We all become artists. Here's a few quotes from Understanding Media. In Shakespeare's Troilus and Cressida, Troilus and Cressida, which is almost completely devoted to both a psychic and a social study of communication, Shakespeare states his awareness that true social and political navigation depend upon anticipating the consequences of innovation. Unquote. The serious artist is the only person able to encounter technology with impunity just because they are an expert aware of the changes in sense perception. Unquote. To prevent undue wreckage in society, the artist tends now to move from the ivory tower to the control tower of society. This is true, but there's also the aspect of they get corrupted. <laughs> Just give them stuff and fame and more stuff. Right? We all got to do this together. It's none of these elite artists because we're all artists. It's like it's built into us. Come on, you guys. Yeah, not everyone has the same skill. There's definitely been some differentiation over the years, the millions, right? We're talking about millions of years. A lot of people have different setups and it all works because we all got something to offer. The artist is always engaged in writing a detailed history of the future because he is the only person aware of the nature of the present, unquote. So we see this in the past. 
and McLuhan talks about cubism. Right? This is a movement in art that fucking everyone knew about. They understood that new technology, new media, altered the way we saw things and the way things were both at the same time in every generation right we have people saying what the fuck <laughs> you know back to McLuhan today we have extended all parts of our bodies and senses by technology we are haunted by the need for an outer consensus of technology, an experience that would raise our communal lives to the level of worldwide consensus. So this is our collective vision, right? Currently our worldwide consensus is that we're bad, that we're fucking everything up. We need all kinds of regulations and fucking Strappings, downings. There's a better way. Right? We're being told a story. Back to McLuhan. What we have today, instead of a social consciousness electrically ordered, ordered, right? A social consciousness electrically ordered. I mean, imagine him writing this in 62 or whatever. Everyone else is like, hum-de-dum, beehives. All of green couches. <laughs> this is what we have. And instead of using it as, I mean, it's like a a super creation device. You know, we're using it to watch clips and, and con consume memes <laughs> and post shit that we think we believe. What we have today, instead of a social consciousness electrically ordered, however, is a private subconsciousness or individual point of view rigorously imposed by older mechanical technology. So this is what's pausing us. We keep thinking in the old way. And Jesus Christ, how long are we going to do that? Since 63, the concept of the medium is the message, alludes to the idea that the content of the medium is not the message. The content of any medium is usually some previous medium. I understand how the content of a medium is irrelevant. Understanding the concept of the medium is the message. The content of the medium is not the message. So even though that seems like it's completely 
um, understandable. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer, but when you really think about it, then what, you know, what is the message, if not the information coming across it? Well, the content of any medium is usually some previous medium. To understand how the content of a medium is nearly, I would say virtually, irrelevant to its effects, we can take a look at the medium of electric light to understand how the medium can be the message. Lighting, as a, okay, as a quote from the book, lighting as an extension of our powers affords the clearest cut example of how such extensions alter our perceptions. If people are inclined to doubt whether the wheel or typography or the plane could change our habits of sense perception, their doubt ends with electric lighting. Light is information without content, much as the missile is a vehicle without the additions of the wheel or highway. As the missile is a self-contained transportation system that consumes not only its fuel, but its engine, so light is a self-contained communication system in which the medium is the message." Unquote. Electric light is an extension of our vision. I mean, we're talking about the extensions of our senses, the extensions of our body, basically. Electric light is an extension of our vision. The light bulb turned night to day and inside into outside and extended our vision beyond the constraints of our physical environment. The light bulb does not carry any content, but it illuminates the content you're busy with. From the medium is the message. The electric light is pure information. It is a medium without a message, as it were, unless it is used to spell out some verbal ad or name. This fact, characteristic of all media, means that the content of any medium is always another medium. The content of writing is speech, just as the written word is the content of print, and print is the content of the telegraph. If it asked, if it is asked, what is the content of speech? It is necessary to say it is an actual process of thought, which is in itself nonverbal. Unquote. It is the strange attractor that a medium creates, the adjustment to the lay of the land forever and all time. We can look glibly at these transformations that our innovations have made. Like, oh yeah, so easy to see, but their importance cannot be overstated. The internet contains all previous mediums known. The content of the internet is all of our previous extensions of ourselves. 
it is for all intents and purposes added a new dimension to our existence, a pure information landscape. So if the purpose of humanity, like, our, okay, so I've already alluded to the fact that we can't hang out here forever, right? We've got to stop waking up to a new Groundhog Day. So what is the next thing? Right? We've got to level up to become extra dimensional. I mean, some of you will be like, woo woo. But we have four dimensions. You fucking guys, four dimensions already. And we know there's more. I mean, the math is just there. By the way, we're going to do some fucking math talk. So we gotta go, we gotta level up. And guess what? We gotta go from 4D, three physical dimensions and time, to 5D. Right? That's what we're supposed to do to be able to reach the next phase where we can start working on new problems instead of just hashing. Does that not then the internet? provide does not then the internet provide that new dimension that's the question i'm asking and it does it's a whole new dimension does not the internet provide us with a clear and easy access to a higher dimension right where we all hang out together all of us And make some really cool shit possible if you think about it. It doesn't have to fuck us up. So does now the message of the internet start to emerge from the fog? That this space is for all of us to occupy in sovereign dominion of ourselves and in free association with others. To let the opportunity pass while being distracted and hypnotized by inauthentic. To let the opportunity pass while being distracted and hypnotized by inauthentic, yet clever storytelling. We may not ever wake up our whole journey as a cosmic race would have been for naught. Quote from the book, both time as measured visually and segmentally and space as uniform, pictorial and enclosed disappear in the electronic age of instant information. Technology can be made out to be a bad element. We as humans are integrated with the whole of creation. We were, right? We still are, but we felt that we were 
integrated with the whole of creation in the pre-literate past. And this is because our media was telling us that. Technology ripped us from that sense of connection. But once begun, it started a process that would deliver us back to the proverbial savannah. In that process, there has been much wrong done, mistakes. But with each iteration, there was a cry of remembrance and refusal to submit in entire to a heartless tyranny. Here we are in a position to return to wholeness despite every appearance. Technology has been our ally in this arrival at the threshold of the possible. Our enemy, and it's not, I'm not passing judgment. I'm just saying, is our lack of vision because we believe what we're told. We can take it by the horns at this point. <clears throat> it's not too late. Stop thinking that these words don't matter. Technology has been our ally, despite all alternative appearances. <laughs> it has allowed this juncture to be arrived at. We have to come to a consensus and there's no better way there's no better medium than the internet right now. And we can use it for way more than that. Um, AI is being used to mine us, as I was mentioning, and instead it could be used so productively. And it's part of what I want to talk about. Some quotes from the book. In the age of instant information, man ends his job of fragmented specializing and assumes the role of information gathering. This is the new Savannah, right? We venture forth with our digital tools and actual fucking assistance instead of fucking spies. I mean, come on. We're gonna allow this to happen. There's another quote from the book. Today, information gathering resumes the inclusive concept of culture, exactly as the primitive food gatherer worked in complete e equilibrium with his environment. Right, we're people. Um, the environment's important. Poisoning it is fucked. 
right? I'm against poison and lies. We are all transfixed on the content, the story we are being told, but we can write our own story. There is a Zen Buddhist proverb that goes, you know, like this, you know, I'm paraphrasing. A monk adept went to the market to procure provisions. Taking care of all the shopping, he saved going to the butcher for last. You don't want to be walking around in the market with raw meat in your basket. So on his last stop, he heads to the meat counter and he take a, takes a look at what the guy has. He asks, which is your best cut of meat? To which the butcher replies, they are all the best cut. With With epiphanic rapture, the monk was suddenly enlightened. So what is this saying? It's saying that we are all the best. We are all infinitely valuable. That by being born, we have value. And the circumstances that ensue do not diminish that value. I, this is for mostly everyone. Um, a society set up in a way that gave people choice, more choice. would create less circumstances for negative behavior. All right, moving on. I was kind of tangenting there. So we are all infinitely valuable. This is the message of the internet. It seems to be, I mean, all right, general semantics. It seems to be the message of the internet. The internet being an extension of the nervous system incorporates all of humanity into effectively one living being made up of billions, each doing their part. For one part of that body to declare over any other part and rationalize any action of marginalization or expulsion is to attack one's own self. It's as if the it's as if the body of humanity formed by the internet has an autoimmune condition and it attacks itself. There's no other word for that except disease. I guess I'm moving on to a new segment now. 
right? It's not just the internet. It's that we're in this together since the beginning. But the internet is the ultimate combination that makes it possible to work out how all of us can have a good life. And in no way is that a direct attack on any person. It's just a new pattern, a new way. It comes down to cooperation versus competition. We have been operating under the competition model that somehow we have to go out there, you know, as people and compete in order to be thought of as valuable. What I'm explaining in this podcast is the idea that cooperation is the original reason for human organization. Competition could never have been the first reason to come together. Think about that. It's opposition. It's not. Society, once having been organized, it became a separate new ecosystem, separate ecosystem from nature in which competition was resumed as if in the wild. Having come together in cooperation. Because, right? That's just how it works. Original organization is for cooperation. But then suddenly altogether, there's this new set of rules that we somehow have to um, adapt to, which we do, because it's better than the alternative. Our journey with technology up to the moment this moment in time was to teach us that competition is counterproductive. (laughs) I mean, that might be reductive, but we're talking about cooperation versus competition, which are two huge factors that determine how things go in our society. And one is more powerful than the other. And one may be a governor. of the other. Like, just think if everyone had the ability to contribute, would not we make progress faster? Instead of just the select few selected by the criteria, go head to head, one wins and the other, ignominy. Right? It's counterproductive. It's fucking slow. So the new segment is, and and it's a risk, right? But I'm going to go for it. I didn't think it all the way out, but here it goes. So I said I was going to do a segment on where I critique influential figures. 
And so I'm going to start with the great Joe Rogan. As cool as he is and as fun as it is, and I'm guilty of it sometimes, to vicariously hang out with him and his bros on JRE. Um, as much as that's fun, um, Rogan, as much as, uh, as fun as that is, Rogan is of the notion that competition is what gives rise to innovation. And he says it on the show all the time. And it's all about this, you know, alpha shit, I guess you could say. You know, the better man wins and all that stuff. But, you know, it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. For exactly the same reasons I was just mentioning. It's the opposite of what's true. Competition does not lead to innovation. Competition um, can happen and innovation will still um, innovation will still happen under competitive conditions. It'll just be slower. Um, cooperation is what causes innovation because we have to share information. People come up with shit and the only way to make it happen is to share that. That's what happens. And sometimes it's not just one person, right? A lot of times it's a whole team that comes up with shit. It's cooperation that makes innovation not competition. Looking at the internals, at the function of society as a survival of the fittest mechanism is erroneous because cooperation comes first. I kind of stopped listening to Joe. You know, when I first heard about his podcast and I saw his logo, <laughs> And he gave himself a third eye. I was like, fuck you. Fucking fear factor. <laughs> you know? Apparently, fear is not a factor for you. You know? Joe, fear is not a factor for you. And that allows me to, to appreciate you too, because you're, you know, you are kind of a badass. But at the same time, fuck you, Joe, because you got it wrong. <laughs> and as many of the cool comments as you make, as funny as you are, you're a funny guy. Um, you got this wrong and some other stuff wrong too. And we'll get to that. So I was listening to John Anthony West on Joe Rogan, 
And this was when he used to have cool guests. It seems like it's all comedians and fighters now. Where's the scientist, Joe? But anyway, John Anthony West is an Egyptologist, independent Egyptologist, who um, brought to light, again, some very interesting stuff. And like very interesting, like really important stuff about Egypt. He was, and because he has all this like uh, knowledge, he's an awake dude, like really awake. And I think uh, he died, which sucks because I just discovered him. That's so selfish, I know. I wish he had continued his work because he was talking to Joe about solutions, you know, and I was really jiving with what he was saying. You should look it up. The, I think he did a couple interviews, but watch them all. He was talking about a way to um, uh, direct society so that we can, like I say, fix this bullshit. And uh, so John Anthony West was talking about solutions and um, Somehow it came up something about competition and technology. And Joe interjected and he was like, wait a minute. All the stuff that is in the studio is the result of competition. You know, and he goes through everything on his, you know, all the technical stuff. Innovation doesn't happen without competition, he says very authoritatively to John Anthony West, you know, fear factor to Egypt. And, uh, you know, first I was like, <laughs> really, Joe? And then next I was like, you're absolutely wrong. But it is an enticing argument, which is why it has worked so well for so long. And it does exist um, in the capitalist free market system. Corporations go head to head, you know, and create products because you Creating a product as a small man, and it happens, and it happens more and more in different ways, but it's still. Um, you, it takes a team, it takes cooperation. It's massive amounts of cooperation to bring a product to market. <laughs> and uh, it's not competition. I mean, do I have to explain it more? I mean, in the environment of public opinion, there is the best product wins, usually. But sometimes advertising can sell you a shitty product or that somehow you're surprised at how popular a certain product is. <laughs> you know, there's anomalies. But basically, people get it right for the most part in general, like as a group, right? So we wouldn't even have a capitalist free market without cooperation, because if it was all competition that got us here, we wouldn't be here. We, you know, still be bashing. 
I mean, even looking at nature, right? At a certain point back in the past, a bunch of these little single cell organisms decided to team up. Right? Isn't that what happened? Somehow there was more than one cell. I want to talk about Joe because he's a massive influencer. And despite his intelligence, his experience, and his general being a badass, it appears as if he has a narrative that he's sticking to. So you got to watch out for it. You can enjoy it. Fuck it, man. If he has on Eric Weinstein again, I'm going to listen. Right? But I tried listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson episode. And guess what? I'm going to have to talk about that dude too in a later episode. So it's not about competition, it's about cooperation. So we got to see that we're not in like against each other, you guys. We're all in this together. So what it means, doesn't mean, is that there is no personal achievement, you know? What, this, what my solution says is that you can, right, the incentive to be a badass is always there, no matter what, like we're human. Why not go all out, right? Go for excellence, the pursuit of greatness. The idea that we are all one does not diminish that in any way. I mean, the, uh, the identification of greatness does not mean, does not have to mean that others can't be recognized, like that there's some kind of small percentage or something. <laughs> I mean, I'm advocating that we're all heroes. That's what I'm fucking for. Everyone needs to be given the chance to be great in their own way. And there's a million ways to be. You know that there are. So, um, that went a little bit more freeform. I like that. I'll try to do that more. Working on it, y'all. Stay tuned. Um, there's more to come on clearing the windows and how we can shake off this trance that we're in. So, till next time, love to all. Green Knight out.